Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome back to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm Alex Stevens, and joining me today is IER's Vice President for Policy, Kenny Stein. Kenny, how's it going today? Doing well. So you've been pretty busy the past month and a half or so. You've uh, testified in front of Congress how many times now? Three or four? Uh, Yeah, going back to April, I think it's four now. Yeah. So, and just twice in this past week. So, um, on Tuesday, you testified before the House Energy and Commerce Committee, uh, their subcommittee on oversight and investigations. And it was at a hearing uh, titled Growing the Domestic Energy Sector Supply Chain and Manufacturing Base Are Federal Efforts Working? Um, I'm going to play your opening testimony and then we can talk about it in a bit. Appreciate the gentlelady's uh, testimony and now recognize. Mr. Stein for his five-minute opening statement. Mr. Chairman, thank you for the opportunity to testify at this hearing. Um, Vast subsidies for politically favored industries are rarely rarely a wise use of taxpayer funds. Politicians are very bad at identifying the productive technologies or foreseeing future economic trends. This means industrial policy is distortive and often leads to inefficient and wasteful resource allocation as industries chase government money and mandates rather than catering to customers or working to innovate for the future. The copious suite of subsidies crammed into the misnamed Inflation Reduction Act, as well as the Spending in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act meant to support green energy, share these usual deficiencies. However, the IRA particularly goes further than merely misguided industrial policy because the industries singled out for the most generous subsidy, namely wind, solar, and batteries, are not domestic industries. The inputs and components that will, be, will build the subsidized green energy system envisioned by the IRA and the IIJA will come from foreign countries, especially China, which thoroughly dominates the, both the solar and batteries industries and is a major part of the wind industry. The IRA thus discards even the usual justifications for industrial policies, such as supporting domestic industry or security. This green industrial policy actually seeks to destroy domestic energy and replace it with foreign energy. The problem with wind, solar, and batteries is that they require an enormous amount of materials to build. For example, a typical electric car requires six times the mineral inputs of a conventional car, mainly due to the battery module, and an onshore wind plant requires nine times more mineral resources than a gas-fired plant. Since 2010, the average amount of minerals needed for a new unit of power generation capacity has increased by 50% as the share of renewables and new investment has risen. Unlike oil and natural gas, which are found and produced around the world, the production of the main green minerals is quite concentrated. In 2019, for example, the top three extractors of copper, nickel, uh, produced more than half of global production, and the top three extractors of cobalt, rare earths, and lithium produced 75 to 85% of global production. But this mining concentration actually pairs in comparison to the concentration in processing where China dominates. China now processes a majority of the world's nickel, cobalt, lithium, graphite, manganese, and rare earths, which are all key inputs for wind turbines, solar panels, and batteries. For several of these categories, such as graphite, manganese, and rare earths, China actually accounts for 80 to 100% of global production. China's dominance goes beyond the processing itself. China also controls the manufacturing production of many green energy products. Around 80% of lithium-ion battery cell production, 80 to 90% of anode and cathode production, and between 60 and 80% of polysilicon, wafers, crystalline silicon cells, and solar modules. What all this means is that green energy is truly made in China. Now, the IRA did include some incentives to try and produce many of these inputs domestically, but the process of opening a new mine stretches for many years, if not decades, and that assumes all goes well with the permitting and approval process, which has not been the case under the Biden administration. 
The processing of these minerals is also very dirty and an energy intensive business, which is part of why so much of it is already done in China, where what minimal environmental standards may exist are easily ignored and cheap coal powered electricity is on offer. Trying to build these processing facilities in the United States will inevitably be stymied by the National Environmental Policy Act or other environmental regulations. Now, some final assembly of imported Chinese components will probably happen in the U.S. in order to gain IRA subsidy eligibility, but that facade cannot hide what's really going on. Green energy will not be made in the United States anytime soon, and to subsidize green energy today is to subsidize China. For decades, the primary goal of American energy policy has been security of supply to ensure that the United States can rely on itself for energy supplies in the event of conflict or crisis. Just in the last five years, we have just about achieved that energy security that had been so elusive. The U.S. is an exporter of oil, natural gas, coal, and refined products. Yet the avowed goal of the IRA is to throw away that hard-earned security and replace our entire energy system with inferior green alternatives sourced from overseas. To put this in context, at the peak in 2001, the United States relied on the Middle East for 23% of our oil needs. That was viewed as a national security crisis. The U.S. currently imports 74% of our rare earth needs from China, with other major green minerals needs over 50%. The entire solar and battery supply chains are controlled by China. There is no prospect of that changing in the near future, whatever the wishes of politicians, and even longer term, there are few past examples of successful industrial policy. Yet we are still inten intentionally seeking to increase our reliance on these Chinese energy sources. The IRA energy subsidies are pushing the United States towards more expensive and less reliable electricity, while also discarding America's security and favor dependence on China. And for all the money appropriated in the IIJA for transmission and electric vehicle charging, the energy sources that spending is meant to support will not be made in the United States anytime soon, if ever. Green energy is made in China, and the more that the U.S. comes to rely on these green energy sources, the more we are relying on China. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. Okay, so industrial policy is all the rage these days, uh, obviously in the energy sector and when it comes to climate change. Uh, we've seen uh, maybe going on about 30 years now of trying to manipulate tax incentives and things uh, in the name of climate change. Can you talk a little bit about the track record of government efforts to steer innovation in the energy sector through subsidies and energy or and industrial policy? What's going to be the result of the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure and Investment and Jobs Act, uh, two pieces of legislation that took this approach? Right. So, I mean, this the long the basically the history of American energy policy in the second half of the 20th century was an attempted industrial policy because we we had we had decided that we were running out of oil in the United States and we needed to find an alternative, a replacement, uh, use less. You know, there's a lot. You know, the, this is where you know the fuel efficiency standards for cars came from because we needed to use less oil. There were big subsidies for um, like the. Uh, methanol and alternative fuel sources. Uh, this is when uh, subsidies for corn ethanol started up too. Um, there were tax credits initially, uh, and then eventually in the 2000s, you got the renewable fuel standard going even further. But so the whole 20th century, the ha well, second half of the 20th century was was a various, uh, like basically half-baked ideas. We, we also had, you know, bans on exporting oil. And then we had, uh, uh, rationing uh, and then you know fuel price caps like there were just all all sorts of things the government just was throwing out trying to trying to uh, centrally essentially centrally plan the energy system and one after another they failed they either led to shortages they uh, were increased cost to consumers um, and in all cases they did nothing to you know reduce our oil or you know dependence on foreign oil really uh, actually you know it, 
from the 70s to the mid 2000s, we were increasingly we were importing more oil every year, and very often from you know the old the old George W. Bush importing oil from countries that hate us, you know the the you know Saudi Arabia or Iran, what what have you. So you know there's a long history of failure of industrial policy in in energy, and the the Inflation Reduction Act is just the new version of this, but for now green energy. Like that's the the new re reason for all industrial policy isn't get off foreign oil, now it's save the climate, like, you know, save the globe. And so it, there's no there's no likelihood that this is going to have be any more effective than past efforts at industrial policy. Um, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, the way it was designed, was basically just to throw money at anybody who wanted to do anything that Congress thought sounded good. Um, the, anything that they, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's described, described as green in the Inflation Reduction Act that's... <laughs> questionable that's environmental credentials let's put it that way but someone in congress likes it so they wanted to hand out money for it um the thing about that though is that you know that's the that doesn't nothing in the inflation reduction act um stops people from using um oil or natural gas uh which are there's a reason why oil and natural gas dominate um certain sectors like natural gas for home heating um and then oil for transportation because they are very flexible they're very efficient um they you know it's easy and quick to refuel your car um, natural gas is very efficient in heating a home in a way that electricity really isn't so the 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 problem with all these green things is that they are inferior products they really are you know especially wind and solar but wind solar uh, batteries they're inferior products so this is an attempt to um, IRA is an attempt to boost the, the value of them, but this has failed in the past. Like this is again, this is was, other things were attempted in the seventies. The actually subsidies for solar started in the eighties. Uh, they've been around that long, and they you know they change form over time, but it's rarely successful. Um, now on the flip side, it's the regulatory side that really has the potential to do damage, and that wasn't the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and you know sometimes that's not considered necessarily industrial policy per se. Um, but, and again, the, the industrial policy side of this attempt, at, uh, it's the, the forced green energy transition. I call it forced because it is not organic. Um, but the industrial policy side of it, of course, it actually runs direct, uh, is directly contrary to increasing the amount of green energy in the United States because, or because in order to manufacturing wind turbines or manufacturing solar panels in the United States is far more expensive. Like than it is than to do it in in China or Vietnam or wherever else. So if you're doing this industrial policy to try and make it made in the United States, that actually makes it more expensive and less likely to be wider adopted. You know, so you it, it impedes your transition. So it's it's cognitive dissonance basically. The IRA is part of this. It's just they they want to build things in the United States, but the way to build these things cheaply is you have to, you know, as, and I said this in my testimony, the way you build solar panels cheaply is by building them uh, in China uh, with cheap with labor or, or coerced labor yeah. and with extremely cheap electricity um, from coal power plants and with no environmental standards, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of toxic stuff that goes into solar panels um, and it causes pollution. Um, and so there's a reason why it's expensive to produce solar panels in the United States is because you have to pay people. There's environmental regulations, uh, electricity costs more. Um, so a lot of these things are outsourced to China uh, because, uh, and this is what I, was this, the focus of my testimony was 
um, that China dominates these supply chains. But it's because mining is dirty. It's because processing these minerals that go into green technologies is dirty. There's there's a lot of toxic byproducts of this. And the the workers that are doing the processing, it's it's dangerous. <laughs> and so all this is done in China because the environmental rules uh, are essentially non-existent. Labor is cheap, and they've got and they're they build a bunch of coal plants to produce cheap electricity. Yeah, so the China stuff is interesting. Uh, obviously, it's something we've been talking a lot about the past month or so here at IER. Um, the uh, the Effort to push renewable energy and the lack of, or I would say, like misalignment of means and ends, which you you touched on there, where uh, we're trying to do this stuff here in America, but at the same time we're blocking all the mines that we would need to um, to process this stuff or or to mine this stuff here in the U.S. Right. And the complete lack of processing ability. Um, this is obviously a uh, a flaw in what uh, we're looking at here with the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, this these um, right. That's, the great, that's the great irony of the Inflation Reduction Act. There's a bunch of subsidies for for domestic mining and processing, but then the Biden administration has been withdrawing permits for every mine that every new mine that wants anybody wants to build. They're they're stopping it. So yeah, there's subsidies in the Inflation Reduction Act for that, but that doesn't mean it's actually going to be made in the United States or mined in the United States. Yep. So you uh, you obviously mentioned natural gas there. Uh, on Wednesday, you testified again before the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, uh, their subcommittee on economic growth, energy policy, and regulatory affairs. And the topic of that hearing was the Biden administration's regulatory assault on gas stoves. Uh, the gas stove issue has been pretty interesting. Uh, uh, the gaslighting on it, obviously, uh, where we were all being told that you know your gas stoves are safe. Nobody's coming for them. And then uh, obviously we saw New York State um, pass a bunch of stuff where they're blocking uh, blocking it in new buildings and things. Um, you made some headlines with your testimony here, uh, which why don't I play that real quick and then we'll come back and talk about it. Mr. Chairman, thank you for the opportunity to testify at this hearing. Uh, the Department of Energy's proposed rulemaking on conservation standards for gas stoves is not a sincere attempt to improve efficiency. Its rulemaking is yet another piece of this administration's whole-of-government approach to targeting energy sources that it disapproves of for ideological reasons. It is an attempt to stop consumers from using a product, natural gas, that is affordable, abundant, and convenient. This proposed rule is deficient in its justification and is outright illegal, obviously violating the plain language of statute. The Energy Policy and Conservation Act, the statutory authority relied upon for this rulemaking, is a consumer protection statute. The law does mandate energy efficiency standards, but it also protects consumers from overreach from the Department of Energy. In the case of the proposed conservation standards for conventional cooking products, i.e. gas stoves, DOE is overreaching in multiple ways and violating the plain text of APCA. While there are other deficiencies in the proposed rule, I'll focus my comments on two specific legal failures. This rule violates the features provision of EPCA, and it violates the significant savings of energy requirement of EPCA. By the features provision of EPCA, I'm referring to 42 U.S.C. 629404. EPCA is designed to protect consumers economically, but it also protects consumers from DOE removing useful products from the market. The Secretary of Energy under that section is forbidden by statute from promulgating regulations which result in the unavailability of products or product features. In the technical support document for this proposed rule, there are 21 gas stoves in DOE's test sample that met DOE's screening criteria of including important features, such as continuous cast iron grates and at least one high input rate burner. 
In the TSD, DOE also specifically acknowledges that continuous grades and high input rate burners are features under EPCA. Of the products in the test sample, only a single stove met DOE's proposed standard, meaning that only 4% of the units included in the test sample met DOE's proposed standard. Elsewhere in the TSD, DOE characterizes the 21-stove sample as representative of the gas stove market. Promulgating a rule where only 4% of the market, according to DOE, would meet the standard violates the features provision of EPCA. But it gets worse. IER's research suggests that the one gas stove that did comply with DOE's standard is actually no longer on the market. DOE does not disclose the models in its test sample and instead only gives the test units an anonymous number. This failure to provide the model number deprives the pu public of critical information necessary for the public to have proper notice of the impact of regulation. In the case of this proposed rule, uh, the lack of model numbers is especially troublesome because if our research is correct, it appears that the only model in DOE's test sample for conventional gas stoves that meets DOE's proposed standard is no longer on the market. From our research, we found two slightly different model numbers that meet the description in the TSD of test unit number two, both from Decor. The problem is that these related models have been discontinued. Now, it's possible that test unit number two was not one of the Decor models that we identified or a similar unit, but because DOE does not actually disclose the models, the public cannot even be sure that there are any products that meet this standard. If our research is correct, though, DOE is proposing a standard where zero products with important features meet DOE's standard and are available for purchase. This is a facial violation of EPCA. DOE attempts to muddy these waters with its February 2023 Notice of Data Availability. In the, in the NOTA, DOE provides information on three additional gas stoves that were screened out of the original 21 included in the TSD. These do meet the proposed efficiency standard, but as DOE noted, they do not include the useful features of having high input rate burners and continuous cast iron grates. DOE has not provided any information on the actual testing of any additional gas stoves. Thus, from the data DOE has provided in the TSD, the proposed rule, and the NOTA, DOE has not tested a single gas stove that one, meets the standard, two, has the re required features, and three, is available for purchase. Even if only one gas stove is available for, for purchase, only one of 21 gas stoves demonstrates DOE is proposing to eliminate the vast majority of gas stoves that have important features for consumers. This is a clear violation of the law. This proposed rule also violates EPCA's requirement of significant energy savings. As part of Congress's statutory scheme to protect consumers from DOE, EPCA required that, quote, new or amended standards must result in significant conservation of energy. Even though this regulation is overly aggressive and may make all gas stoves with continuous cast iron grates and high input rate burners illegal, it still does not provide significant savings of energy. For gas stoves, DOE's TSD states that consumers will only save $21.89 over the 14 and a half year average life of the product, or $1.51 a year. Saving $1.51 in energy a year is not a significant savings of energy. But it actually gets worse when you look at the consumer savings for electric stoves. Consumers will only save $13.29 over the 16.8 year average life of the electric stove, or a mere 79 cents a year. This minuscule monetary savings is a direct result of minuscule energy savings and therefore not a significant savings of energy required under EPCA. These two clear violations of EPCA expose this proposed rule as contrary to statute and the Department of Energy must abandon this regulatory overreach. Thank you and I look forward to your questions. Okay, yeah, so you made some headlines with your testimony uh, because you raised some questions about the legality of the proposed rulemaking uh, on the conservation standards uh, that are sort of in question here on gas stoves. Um, talk about your concerns there a little bit more. Right, so the, the, the I mean, the hearing ended up being, there was a lot of discussion about um, 
you know, the Democrats were at pains to say this is not a ban on gas stoves. This is they said over and over again, this is not a ban on gas stoves. And they have to say that because they know it's it's bad PR. People don't want the gas stoves banned. So they have to pretend that the Biden the Biden administration isn't attempting to get rid of natural gas because this is the thing, it's it's a whole of government approach to eliminating natural gas use and appliances. So yes, this specific regulation itself would not ban all natural gas stoves but this uh regulation combined with the uh the consumer uh protection uh committee richard trumka wants to have a ha, you know have safety issues for natural gas there's uh people that want to ban gas hookups in new homes there's you know so it's a, all all of that together is effect it becomes a ban on natural gas use in stoves and in other appliances um but this specific regulation is and it's and it's an example of the, the way the Biden administration has gone about this whole of government approach. Is they are bending every every rule, every regulation, every statute that they can find to try and maximize their attack on uh, most affordable, reliable energy sources, and which primarily meaning natural gas and oil. And this is a perfect example of that because Congress passed energy efficiency standards. Speaking of. <laughs> Uh, ancient antique industrial policy that's still around. These efficiency standards were passed back in the 70s, you know, to get us off foreign oil. And here we are today, uh, and the Biden administration is using it to try and ban appliances. So, um, but these are old, old energy efficiency standards. And so the government has the statutory authority and even mandate to improve the efficiency of uh, home appliances, including stoves. But there, the key is, is that there's also consumer protection language written into the, the, the statute that they're relying on. And, Congress, and luckily, someone in Congress had the foresight to say, you know what, you need to improve efficiency, but you can't just go, go around banning things that people want. Like if it, And the statute clearly says is that if there is a product feature that people want, you cannot create a regulation that bans the use of features that are in the market and, are, and people want. And so that's where this 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 specific regulation um, does overreach. Not not just overreach; it's it's frankly illegal, because the way they they set the standards so low that so the the stoves that have certain um, product features, which in this the, the we included this in our regulatory comment on the docket um, at the Department of Energy. But there's specific features like you know having a cast iron grate over a continuous cast iron grate over your entire stove, having a high input rate burner that you can use for for like searing or stir frying. I mean, those are features that people want, but the efficiency standards were set so low that uh, the any the stoves that have those features, could not qualify. So nothing on the market. Uh, well, and here's the, this is the question. So in the sample that DOE put together for this stove, there was one of 21 theoretically passed, met the standard, which that's, that's crazy low. That's only 4% of the market meets the standard. That's, that's illegal on its own, frankly, that's, that's extreme. But even that one that qualified, when we looked into it, uh, it's not clear that that the the one that qualified is even on the market anymore. The we found several uh, uh, stoves that were similar to that description that we think was probably the one that DOE used, um, and they don't sell them anymore. So it's possible that absolutely none of the test sample is is available for sale. And so if that if that's the case, it's very clear that's a violation of statute. You, it's, it, that is an outright ban on stoves with these features, and that and that's flat illegal. 
I'm glad you were tapped to uh, to participate in this hearing because obviously if there's uh, an important thing that we stand for here at IER, it's consumer sovereignty in energy issues choice. and, right. and choice. choice. And uh, this topic is sort of front and center uh, when it comes to the debate over who gets to decide what sort of energy we use. It is Friday before Memorial Day weekend, so I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, anything we haven't discussed, anything that didn't come up in the hearings that you want to talk about? Well, I think I just the I, I briefly mentioned it, but I I think it's very telling that um, all the Democrats that showed up at the gas stoves hearing were at pains to say this is not a gas stove ban. They they know they know that this is bad politics. They know that people don't like choices being taken away from them, and that's that's why the Inflation Reduction Act was crafted the way it was. The the early versions of that, the Build Back Better had a lot of bans and mandates and forcing people to do things. Um, and, you know, people don't want that. Even, even Democrats, they, they don't want that. Democrats like gas stoves too. Uh, they don't want to be, people don't want to be told um, that they they can't have something, that they don't have options anymore because some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. has decided that the product that they like, the product that they want, or the product that they need is somehow now uh, evil or harms the earth or whatever is, you know, violates environmental justice, you know, whatever, whatever the new justification is. So I, I, a lot of these folks recognize that it's bad politics. And I, I hope that that eventually filters into the administration, because clearly there's people in the administration that are just gung-ho that like, we, we want to control people's lives. We know better than you. Now, Democrats in Congress realize that that's bad political messaging, but I'm hope that the administration uh, listens to the the objections that people are raising to these things, and really, and and honestly, pairs themselves back. Like, get back to um, trying to improve prosperity for American citizens, rather than telling them what to do. And it's not a small percentage of the uh, the U.S. who use natural gas as uh, an end use in some form. EIA uh, had a survey that came out in maybe February or March that was showing that. So. Uh, bad politics that affect a large portion of the country. Everyone. Yeah, just virtually everyone. everyone. Yeah. yeah, you talk about natural. If you include heating, uh, hot water heaters, Grilling, cooking, yeah, almost yeah. everyone has a natural gas hookup in their home that is used for something. You know, it's it's most of the country. Yep. So full videos of both hearings can be found on our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. And our guest today has been Kenny Stein. Kenny, uh, great to hear from you, and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, of course.